person. We are so glad you are here to worship with us today. It is good to be back with you after being in Cuba for a week, uh, bringing you greetings from our sister church in Ciego de Avila, and look forward to giving you a more thorough uh, summary and update of how that trip went. I also want to say a special word of welcome to anyone who's visiting with us this morning. We are particularly honored by your presence. Thank you for being here. We hope that you will join us in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. Uh, and if you would, if you're sitting on the inside end of the pew, uh, excuse me, of your row, if you would pass those uh, worship registries down so we have a record of your attendance visit this morning, that would be wonderful. A couple of quick things to make you aware of this morning. Uh, the first is to notice the beautiful flowers, as always, up front, and that those are dedicated to Peggy Burns this morning for her three years of wonderful, dedicated service uh, during the pandemic and during the pastor search uh, as the chair of the coordinating council. Um, do please follow her lead uh, as to whether or not taking flowers uh, needs to be done today. Those are for her, so uh, let Peggy go first is really what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, also, some upcoming events to remind you of, uh, specifically this evening, there's a potluck at 6 p.m., and then we have business meeting at 7 p.m. Uh, Peggy will give us a state of the church overview of the past uh, year. Is that right? Past year? Uh, we will do the business of the church and also be voting on whether or not to join AWAB. Um, if you still need more information about that organization, that is the Association of Welcoming and Affirming Baptists, see me, see Craig. Um, if you have questions, if you need any more information, we are here to help with those questions. Also, you will see in your order of worship on your insert that next Sunday is fifth Sunday lunch, so mark your calendars for that. And then two quick things as you look at our worship service today. The first is to remind the kids do come up during the end of that first hymn for our children's message. But before that, in just a second, uh, you will notice our call to worship. It's a little bit different this morning. Um, I will be reading the one readings and then we have a pulpit side reading and a lectern side reading. Don't hesitate on those. If you are on the pulpit side, which is this side, be bold, read that out. And then the same for the lectern side. When it's your turn, go ahead and read those. You can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> now I'm going to ask that we take a deep breath together. Uh, this has been a, a long week for some of us, lots of travel. And uh, even though we are joyful to be home, it doesn't mean that travel is not a little bit stressful. Some of the rest of you have been in school, you've been working, and it takes a lot just to get yourselves here on a Sunday morning. So, take a deep breath, let that breath settle your mind and quiet your heart. Let all the parts of yourself catch up with where you are in this moment. As you breathe in, breathe in the joy the love, the peace of this good space as you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out the homework that maybe isn't done, breathe out those things that would distract you from this time that we have together because it is precious. And then let us worship God together by reading our call to worship. What is a blessing?
recognize God's presence and live for God's glory. Let us worship God together.
He's got it. He's got it all across us. You're exactly right. So there's cucumbers, there's vinegar, and there's salt. Okay, what else would we maybe put salt on? Raise your hand if you have an idea. What do you think? Rice. What do you think? What do you think, CJ? What would you put salt on? Okay, I'll come back. What do you think? French fries. That's a good one. What do you think? Oh, yep, there's salt on potato chips. You're right. What do you think? Chicken. What do you think? A burger? Okay. What do you think, Ryder? Salad? You put salt on your salad? <laughs> your mom <laughs> Oh, mom threw you under the bus. What do you think? Fish? Put salt on fish. Now, you might also like, does anybody here like popcorn? Yeah. What do you put salt on? Do you have an idea? Yeah. You should put salt on corn? Yes. So, I'm sorry, who likes popcorn? Raise your hand again. That's almost everybody. I don't really like popcorn. You can put your hands down. What about eggs for breakfast? Yeah? You put salt on your eggs for breakfast sometimes? Yeah. So what if I told you, you might know this, that salt is important for us to be healthy. Did you know that? Yeah. We need it. It does if you get too much. It can make your stomach hurt. We, we need salt to keep the right balance of water in our bodies. We need salt for our hearts to beat correctly. It's necessary for our nerves to send messages from our brains. It even helps our muscles function properly so you don't get leg cramps. So like sometimes if you ever drink a Gatorade and sometimes it tastes a little bit salty, there's some salt in there to help your muscles. Salt is really, really important. I'll come back to you. Put your hand up, okay? Now, these days, salt is really, really inexpensive. We don't think much about it. But what if I told you, you long, long time ago, salt was really expensive? What did you think about that? Does that seem kind of weird? Yeah. Yeah. It was sometimes even used as money. Salt was so valuable, people used it as money. And salt was hard to find. So, it was even more valuable. Now, you're going to hear in a few minutes, we're going to read from the gospel. Jesus is going to talk about all of us being the salt of the earth. Are you salty? Are you salty people? Yeah. Yes? <laughs> so, you, it makes sense to you that Jesus says to be the salt of the earth? Yeah. Okay. Well, for the rest of you, let me say this. What that means is that we can help bring out the flavor of the earth. We can help bring out what Jesus is sharing with other people. When we accept God's love, we can then share that with everybody in our lives. Because that's something that's really valuable, right? Remember how I said salt used to be really, really valuable? The love of God is also really valuable. And that's something that we can share. That's kind of what Jesus means when he says, you are the salt of the earth. It means we have something worth sharing, which is the love of God. That makes sense? A little bit, kind of, sort of? Okay. Well, we'll talk about it again, but for now, here's what I want you to do. 
We'll talk after worship, okay? I want all of you to turn around, face the congregation. For our new friends, this is the part of the children's message that you are in charge of, and I need you to be nice and loud. I'll say the first line, you say it back to me, adults, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. Kids, I think you can be louder, but don't scream. <laughs> the love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. O holy child of
those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. A word from the psalmist for us today. Thanks be to God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Creator's blessing rests on the poor, the ones with broken spirits. The good road from above is theirs to walk. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk a trail of tears, for he will wipe the tears from their eyes and comfort them. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk softly and in a, in a humble manner. The earth, land, and sky will welcome them and always be their home. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right again. They will eat and drink until they are full. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are merciful and kind to others. Their kindness will find its way back to them. Full circle. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Creator's blessing rests on the pure of heart. They are the ones who will see the great spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who make peace. It will be said of them, they are the children of the great spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are hunted down and mistreated for doing what is right, for they are walking the good road from above. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You with scorn and contempt, all because you walk the road with me. This is a sign that the Creator's blessing is resting on you. So let your heart be glad and jump for joy for you will be honored in the spirit world above. You are like the prophets of old who were treated in the same way by your ancestors. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth, bringing cleansing and healing to all. Salt is a good thing, but if it loses its saltiness, how will it get its flavor back? That kind of salt has no worth and is thrown out. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. You are a light shining in this dark world. A village built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one hides a torch. They put it on a pole so that all who are in the village can see it. In the same way, let your light shine by doing what is right and good. When others see, they will give honor to God, the one above us all. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them 
will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never, in never enter the kingdom of heaven. When you hear my words, you may think I have come to undo the law given by drawn from the water and undo the words of the prophets. But I have come to honor those words and show everyone their true meaning. I speak from my heart. As long as there is a sky above and an earth below, not even the smallest thing they have said will fade away until everything they have said has found its full meaning and purpose. Anyone who turns away from these instructions and tells others to do the same will be looked down on as a small one on Creator's good road from the spirit world above. But the ones who do those words and teach others to do the same, they will be looked up to as great ones. I will say this to you. Unless you have a better reputation than the scroll keepers and the separated ones, you will not find the path that leads to the land of the Creator's good road from above. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Peter A. Jones. He is brilliant and meticulous and learned. 
But the running joke amongst every student who took a class with him is that he had a tendency to pontificate. Um, he also always seemed to do so while like striking some sort of pose. For like <laughs> professors of the South, he would just casually lean against a door and talk or sit on a table with his leg propped as he was trying to teach. And we would lean over and go, that's for the calendar. <laughs> now, I'm sure that wasn't intentional. I don't think he realized he was doing it. He was just very dapper and elegant, just a, a clothes horse of a man. But his rabbit chasing drove me crazy. And he used to talk all the time about the work of important scholars. I can't even say it right. I'm not from, from South Georgia. But imagine that word, that lilting word from someone from that part of the country. We talked about scholars all the time. <laughs> and they were people none of us had ever heard of or had any concept of who these scholars were. They came up out of nowhere. And the worst part was you didn't know which scholar was going to be on the exam. And so if you didn't write them all down, you were going to get it wrong. So taking notes in Dr. Jones's class was an exhaustive sort of guessing game. But alas, the class on the Sermon on the Mount was required for my Christian social ethics concentration, so I suffered through it. Worn out with scholars and Dr. Jones and Jesus, if I'm being really honest, by May. But Dr. Jones' refrain about the Sermon on the Mount being Jesus' masterwork, a snapshot of Christ's theology, the Beatitudes' identity as some of the most beautiful words in Scripture, and the whole sermon foreshadowing the presence of God, both at the cross and at the empty tomb, those things came back to me this week. Because wouldn't you know it, even with all of his posing and his scholars, Dr. Jones was right. The Beatitudes are poetry. They're also some of the most nuanced words Jesus speaks, and scholars have been picking these verses apart since the beginning of the faith. And well, they should. Because in a handful of verses, sitting in this elevated space with his disciples, Jesus more or less upends the entire structure of society. Now, here's the important background for understanding this morning's reading. First, Jesus going up in verse 1, anytime you hear that, is supposed to connect him to Moses going up Mount Sinai. So, a little bit of, of biblical trivia there. Anytime you hear that, you're supposed to think of Moses. Second, the Beatitudes are not law, but wisdom literature. And there are Beatitudes, which simply means a condition or statement of bliss. There are Beatitudes throughout the New Testament. Finally, though the Greek word makarios, makarios can be translated as happy, the best translation for these verses is the more common bless or blessed. Because what Jesus is describing is a sense of divine favor that comes with being given a blessing. It comes with the knowledge that you are the recipient of a divine grace. Now, what's really striking about Jesus' Beatitudes, and again, remember I said these are throughout the New Testament, 
but we specifically talk about these Jesus Beatitudes. What's really striking about them is who he's blessing. For example, the poor in spirit describe those struggling with being depleted or empty, and those who are in spiritual poverty or despair. Commentator Ben Witherington describes these folks as those who are poor in the sense of oppression and abuse with the possible implication that they are downcast and depressed. These are people who know their need for God and who turn to God. Now, those aren't the type of people you typically think about as being blessed. But what Jesus is doing is blessing people exactly where they are in life. Not where they might be someday. Not where they could be with a little bit of work. Take those who mourn in verse 4 as an example. Jesus doesn't tell people to stop mourning so he can bless them. Or that the blessing will be waiting on them when they snap out of their grief. Jesus doesn't dismiss people's struggle, but he instead calls people blessed, makarios, even in the midst of their pain. So whether someone's soul is depleted, or grief grips them, or they're definitely trying to bring about some sort of reconciliation, or they're suffering in the living out of their faith, Jesus makes it clear that the grace of God meets you where you are and then pulls you forward. I'm going to say that again. It's really important. What Jesus makes clear is that the grace of God meets you where you are and then pulls you forward. In fact, in the Greek, stick with me on this, some of this linguistic stuff. In the Greek, there is not a verb at the beginning of the Beatitudes. Okay? So if you're a language person, think about that. Instead, they begin in the present tense. And the word makarios, that word blessed, is the identifier. So there's no verb there. People <coughs> simply are identified as being blessed. It is a state of being, not an action. Now some of that is due to just how Greek is constructed, Right? When we would ask those sorts of questions, my Greek and Hebrew professors would say, that's just how the little Greek or Hebrew children did it. We don't know. It's how it's constructed. But it's telling that the first word Jesus uses for each of these groups is makarios, is blessed. Because that means they are immediately favored by God. The favor doesn't come later. And as the Working Preacher podcast so thoughtfully comments, what this tells us is the experience of the present doesn't define the future. The grace of God that's real now is also the grace of God that calls you to look forward into hope. To look forward to something that's beyond what is defining your present moment. The grace of God and the pronouncement of Jesus' blessing also calls us to action. Starting in verse 13, when Jesus said, as I told the kids, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What Jesus is saying is that the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
the merciful, the peacemakers, and those who have been persecuted are called to share the blessing they have received, that blessing that is pulling them forward with those around them. The gift of God's grace isn't something that can be contained and certainly can't be owned. Neither is rejoicing in your own blessedness beneficial to the kingdom of God unless you're willing to be salty, unless you're willing to share with those around you. Now, as I said to the kids, you're probably aware that salt was a valuable commodity in the ancient world, and it is not an overstatement to say that it was a contributing factor in the development of numerous civilizations. I did a little research and found out that as early as the 6th century, Moorish merchants routinely traded salt ounce for ounce with gold. Think about that for a second. They would trade salt ounce for ounce with gold. And this one, in what is now Ethiopia, slabs of rock salt were used as currency. Each was about 10 inches long and 2 inches thick. Cakes of salt were also used as money in other areas of Central Africa. Salt was also a good antiseptic, which is why the Roman word for salt, sal, S-A-L, is first cousin to Solus, the goddess of health. Of all the roads that led into Rome, one of the busiest was the Via Solitaria, the salt route, over which Roman soldiers marched and merchants drove ox carts full of the precious crystals up from the Tiber and the salt pans at Assyria. A soldier's pay, in consisting in part in salt, came to be known as Solarum Argentinum, from which we derive the word salary. A soldier's salary was cut if he was not worth his salt, a phrase that came into being because the Greeks and Romans often bought slaves with salt. There are over 30 references to salt in the biblical text, including Leviticus 2.13, which says this, With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. And more infamously, the story from Genesis 19 about Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. For his part, Jesus is more than aware of salt's preservative qualities. Keep in mind, at this time, to keep fruit from spoiling is a challenge. Uh, the climate is, is difficult for that. So preservation is essential to keep people fed. Using this familiar element, this preservative, Jesus draws a parallel between preserving what fuels the body and preserving the grace of God for those who are hurting. Those who need to be fueled by the promise that God meets and calls people blessed first thing, even as they straddle the pit of despair. But Jesus is also a human being with taste buds, right? So he would have been aware of salt's bites. For you see, that's the unspoken part of Jesus' call to be the salt of the earth, the biting effect of being salty in a world where blandness is expected. The overwhelming sensation of something or someone who refuses to be part of the status quo, the eye-watering shock of tasting something that looks normal, 
unexceptional, even bland, to have your mouth pucker because it is so salty. The unspoken part of Jesus' call is to be too salty for some people who are used to churches and people of faith without any flavor. My friends, the good news this morning is that God's grace is given to us even at our most desperate moments. We are to lead with grace because Jesus led with grace and called us blessed first thing. The challenge of this good news is that these blessings are to be lived out in a world where they are not routine, not the status quo, not what's popular or even acceptable. Being a person who lives the Beatitudes in our society won't make sense to most folks because things like being a person of reconciliation is not routine in our red or blue Democrat or Republican America first world. Being merciful in a country in which capital punishment is the law of the land doesn't always make sense. Being aware of and owning our white heterosexual privilege is not the norm. Being willing to walk with a friend through grief that lasts beyond the time considered seemly and through stages that do not come in neat order but in continuous waves isn't popular. Being willing to hunger and thirst after God's righteousness that forces us to admit we've not acted how Christ would when it comes to immigration and racism and LGBTQ plus equality is uncomfortable and unpopular. But this, my friends, is what we are called by Christ to do. This is the faith we are called to have, a faith with teeth, with bite, that isn't formed by what society finds acceptable, but that finds its affirmation in the life and word and example of Christ. The grace of God frees us from the constraints the world would place on us by its sheer abundance and availability. We are identified as blessed first and foremost, but it is up to us to live lives that are mindful and reflective of this grace. It is up to us to create for ourselves with each other in community, and for the sake of our community, a faith life that isn't concerned with routine, that doesn't care about the status quo, and that isn't worried about what society deems acceptable. Blessed are the salty, my friends. Let's be a people with some bite.
we begin this time of communion, being that we are still in the season of Epiphany, we do so like the Magi. We come to this table asking for the child, wondering where that love has been born, seeking joy that might satisfy our thirst, <coughs> wandering through the darkness of past mistakes. We have come to this place where Magi and shepherds and first-time parents have met. We have come to this place called Bethlehem, to this place where our hearts rise like yeast, to this place where we meet newborn hope, to this place where we taste our deepest joy. In Bethlehem, where we assume the worst, because that's what scripture tells us, nothing good comes from Bethlehem, where we imagine no good thing can come, we somehow miss its name, Bethlehem, Lehem meaning bread, Bethel, meaning house. There is something here that will satisfy our hunger. No matter how long we have wandered, here our hearts arise. Our light has come. We also come to this table like John, knowing that we aren't necessarily worthy to be in such proximity to the divine, knowing that we aren't really holy enough to be sitting shoulder to shoulder with God. But, my friends, that is the good news, the joy, the miracle of this table. We are worthy to be here, each of us. With our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, our griefs, we are not just allowed to be here. We are overwhelmingly wanted here and beloved and claimed as children of God. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. There is always enough food, always enough chairs, always enough leaves to be added for all who seek to sit around this table in fellowship. At this table, we honor creator and creation. We celebrate the table fellowship of Jesus. All are worthy and all are welcome here. And as we receive the fruits of the Spirit, the communion of all things, creator Christ and Spirit dance as one, so may it always be. And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. saying, Take and eat all of you. This is my body, surrendered for you. And then when supper was over, he took a cup, he filled it with wine. He gave thanks for it, and he shared it with the disciples, saying, Take and drink all of you. This is the seal of the new covenant, my poured out life. 
I will drink this cup with you again, the table of God's joy in the new day that is coming. And whenever you do these things, remember me.
superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.